Everyone, hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice and Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with someone that I knew many moons ago in New York, Mandy Statmiller. She's a writer, she's an author, sometime comedian, person who's into uh, like new agey things, which might surprise you given her career. I think we should get into all of it. Hello and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Allison. It's such an honor. You have the best podcast and I always feel best friended when I listen to it. Thank you so much. We've actually been trying to get together to podcast for years now because I remember you contacting me at, um, oh my God. Brain fart, not Sketchfest. Was, was it Seattle? Uh, Bumbershoot? Uh, yes. Yeah, I was out there doing this fun panel with Peaches and Chelsea Kane called Scary Feminist. And I guess I qualify as a scary feminist. <laughs> well, that so. kind of that kind of dovetails into your book, which just came out, Unwifable, yes. which Unwifable. everyone should go get. Um, and they can get it at unwifablebook.com unwifablebook.com go get it and then come back and listen to the rest of this podcast yeah right 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 um the i actually screenshot something from the book so let me just uh let me just read that is it my takedown of allison rosen (laughs) the funny thing is 275 (laughs) as i was reading it i'm like oh i know so many of these like Catherine pushkar yeah, uh, who makes an appearance very early in the book, and then I She's imagine lovely. continued. Yeah, I worked with her at Time Out New York, and she yeah. was like your first editor at the Post. Actually, before I read anything from the book, yeah, let's yeah, tell yeah. people, let's explain to people in case they don't know. Okay. Let's give them your your uh, storied career history. So you were at New York Post yeah. for a long time. Yeah, I got hired there in 2005, and I worked there until 2012. And then more recently, I worked at Exo Jane, and then now I kind of write occasionally for the Daily Beast. But the book I've been, you know, to give a little shorthand, I say, imagine Carrie Bradshaw had a drinking problem and a sex addiction problem and, well, all the problems (laughs) and does everything wrong, but then still finds her Mr. Right, which I realize is like, I kind of want to throw up um insane whenever you say mr right and things mm-hmm. like that but you know it's trying to pitch hollywood blah but do but but it sounds like not only do you have like a really deft gift for narrative but also it sounds like you feel that you did find your mr right yeah yeah i got married to someone who's i think the first man who i'm actually myself with 100% of the time. And that's really nice. I think I was always trying to change myself for Mm -hmm. other guys. But yeah, I married Pat Dixon, who's a comic. And he is someone who, as soon as people found out that we were dating, they were like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I should have. I should have set you guys up a long time ago. So what kind of guys did they normally set you up with? I dated Aaron Sorkin, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, date in quotes. I mean, you know, hung out with and... But he based a character in the newsroom on you, right? Yeah, it was uh, an evil version of me. But watching it, I realized that I was probably a lot closer to the evil version. It was... uh, (laughs) 
It was played by Hope Davis. Hope Davis, yeah. And uh, her name was Nina Howard. And in the writer's room, they called her Bad Mandy because he took a lot of things that had happened on a date that we had had where I was bemoaning the fact that I had to write a takedown piece on Bethany Frankel and that I had always had positive interactions with her mm. and really wanted to kind of rec- rec- uh, recuse myself from the story and wasn't able to. And that is the life of someone who works in the tabloid game, as I'm sure you are familiar. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk about that a bit. How would you describe the kinds of pieces that you wrote? Because so I, um, you know, worked in media forever yeah. and like dipped my toes in the fields that you were in. But yeah. I feel like you were like full throated in there in terms of, I mean, I, I, I know, I know from, from knowing you and from reading your stuff a bit that you had very mixed feelings about the kind of stuff that you were writing. Well, sometimes, I mean, other times it was, I have no problem with, I, I love the New York post and I love most of the stuff they do. I just personally am kind of, a I, I'm I'm not I'm not a sadist and I think that having a little bit of that thirst can sometimes benefit you mm-hmm. um enjoying taking down uh people when they are in the top spot. That that that's part of the you know fun sometimes for gossip reporters is showing the cracks and I sometimes just don't like to do that if I don't think that it's deserved and it always makes me feel a little icky. And so I try to, I guess, do my best in bringing honesty and, and, and the truth to the stories that I did while also being able to keep that paycheck at the post because at the time I really needed it and I figured I'm not able to get out of this because I asked to and was told, no, you have to do the story. But I will, I will say that... Uh, is that repeatedly you would ask not to do stories and you were told you had to? Or are you talking specifically about like the Bethany Frankel story? Yeah, that was a specific one. There, I mean, there were, there were other stories that it wasn't like it was a, a huge ethical conflict, but it wasn't what I really enjoyed doing or I mm-hmm. thought was my best strengths in, in in writing. But that one specifically was just, it just made me feel kind of paralyzed to want to be able to have the option to, you know, step away and to not be able to. Uh, and a similar thing kind of happened when I was writing about Gail King. And I I actually ended up talking to her about it after I had left the post. But uh, there was something I wanted to address that you had said about uh, working in gossip, which was that I think that whenever people put down gossip, I think that that is a little bit dishonest because, let's be real, every person I've ever met, you know, it's one of the most primal, primitive things to uh, share that kind of information. And so it's not like I think I'm better than that or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, so. Right. Um, I hope you don't feel like I was putting it down. No, not at all. No. Oh, no, 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 no. I I just, 
you know, I'm so grateful to, I mean, the reality is that people like Richard Johnson, I owe so much to because I would send him little items that were just, oh, hey, Lorne Michaels said this at a party and then you include, you write up the item and then you say, as, as reported by the post Mandy Statmiller. And he didn't have to use those things, but he mm-hmm. knew that it was beneficial. And so that I'm very grateful to, I mean, the, I, I write about in there the gossip math equation, which is, which is something I learned from Paula Froelich, who's uh, very smart and very brilliant and an author in, in her own right. And she always talks about it. She worked at page six for years and years and years. And she talks about it as being two scoops equals a favor. <laughs> so, you know, you find out, say, A-Rod's dating Madonna. You let page six uh, know first. And you find out that some high-profile marriage um, is ending, even though they're still pretending to be together. And then you've given them two scoops. And then if you, you know... uh have something that's more of a favor, like, you know, say some passage from your uh, book that you can kind of position as a gossip item, they'll use that, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll fill that slot with that. So that's, that's kind of how that works. And and it's also a reason why sometimes more highfalutin, high-minded places like the Times haven't always had luck doing gossip because that is a little bit uh mafioso in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of uh all the favor trading and slinging that can that can happen and so i think that's why the post has always succeeded at it because it's always been a little more down and dirty in terms of like how things get done and it's also how you can beat other publications and mm-hmm. get scoops um so you were a features writer at the new york post and then at pa- what did you do at page six? Oh, I didn't do anything at page okay. six. I just contributed to them pretty frequently. Yeah. Gotcha. So, no, I never worked there. Yeah. Gotcha. And then I briefly worked at page six magazine. Oh, awesome. Which- did you work with Margie? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. I've been working with her on, I have a piece coming out in Sunday's New York Post that is writing about you know the book and everything. Oh, cool. And yeah. So- Tell her I say hi. I will. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but because Page Six is such a well-known brand, right? Um, I would get booked on TV shows, and I think they thought that they're getting this. They probably thought they were getting someone like you who could come on and like have scoops and stuff. And it's like, oh no, it's just features. <laughs> like, it's not Page Six magazine. It's just a glossy insert with. I'm not. I don't mean to say just. No, but right. I mean it's not. Pa- it's not what people think of as Page Six. It's a little bit different. What kind of stuff did you write at Page Six magazine? <sighs> I remember. So I was hired as an acting senior editor. I was filling in for someone. Um, but I did a piece on Madonna's brother who had a book coming out. Oh, I read um, that book and it was my final. I interviewed Harvey Weinstein oh. for a piece that I did about Madonna and read that book. And I read all the books about Madonna. That was one of the most just hilariously bitchy. Yes, he is hilarious. <laughs> wow. Bitchy. Yeah, the, the the there was some letter that he faxed her mm-hmm. about. I know it's hard to be an aging has been pop star. <laughs> I mean, it was just like all the shade, just passive aggressive on steroids. Yeah, funny. Yeah, and then I wrote. Oh, so I'm trying to remember. Oh, I wrote about Nacho Figueroa. No, 
Yes, yes. Nacho Figueres, the uh, the super hot polo player. Oh, cool. I went to the Hamptons to write about that. Oh, fun. Um, I did something about like where the power shoppers, <laughs> like not, it wasn't power shoppers, but it was people that get access to the stuff in the clothing stores like before other people. Oh, so right, it's like if right. you have a relationship with Marc Jacobs store, mm-hmm. then someone at the store will call you and let you know like, oh, this is coming in. And I then want you can that. Get to the sto- yeah. Yeah. You can get to the store. Like you, you get very special treatment. But I, I forget what the title was. They had like a whole photo shoot and stuff. It was stuff that was sort of like not my usual right, milieu right, or world. Right. But it was everyone. Yeah, it, it was. It was. That was a weird but fun time. I have I have to say one other thing about Madonna's Brothers book because whenever something stays with me years and years later, I think it's you know, they did a good job in mm-hmm. relaying relaying that anecdote. He had a scene where Courtney Love was doing cocaine and saying that it was her first time and then she kept counting and saying them aloud. And that's my second line. And that's my third line. And I just have always remembered that. I just thought that was so yeah. funny. Yeah. Courtney Love blurbed your book. She did. It was so, so kind many of her. So people blurbed your book. Yeah. I kind of was just afraid that uh, no one was going to. And so I just ended up with, um, yeah, looking like, you know, a needy, beggy, blurby. No. Chicky. So, but yeah. Well, maybe... Maybe you felt that way, but as well, someone no, looking no. at the book, it's just like, holy shit, look at all these. Yeah, yeah. I just, I people. just wanted to, I, I just derive all of my worth through external measures of uh, <laughs> validation. And so I just wanted to give it my best shot. So I reached out to a lot of people. Okay. I, I want to dig into all of that, but yeah, let's just quick, anything you want to talk about. Yeah. Quickly. Sorry to tangent oh, no, no, you no. with everything. This show is all about tangents. Oh, good, good, good. That's its other. That's the other title. All about tangents. Um, so, because I, I think specifically what I read that you had misgivings about. Yeah. And I can't remember what it is that I read, but at Exo Jane, you did a lot of as told tos. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did, did you ghost have- writing for uh, for Courtney Love and uh, Sydney Leathers, and um, I didn't ghost write Bell Knox, but I worked with her a lot it was a heavier you know edit than normally but happens. did you write something or tell me does this sound tell me does yeah, this well, sound I, like you i don't know something maybe where you felt like your thing was to find someone oh. who scandal was swirling around and to convince them that it would be a good idea for them to give you to tell you oh their story. yeah so i think you're thinking about i wrote a piece that i really liked i don't think jane pratt liked it but then she forgave me, but now I don't think she likes me anymore. But I wrote a piece for New York Magazine called It Happened to Me, How I Became a First-Person Human Trafficker. Yes. And uh, the idea was to explain what I did in my job. And the misgivings that I talked about in there was could be applied to a lot of people who work in the news media because it happened to me was a column that was originally in Jane magazine and then yeah. on exo and it's fantastic well. and also huge huge props to Jane as the visionary that she is look at any article in some of the most mainstream places New York Times Washington Post the headlines have completely morphed to what she pioneered you look at stories and it's I was 
Donald Trump's secret love child or whatever. Uh, but it didn't used to ever be that way. No, it was puns. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of puns. <laughs> Tresses and times yeah. with tulips. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I did actually edit a piece for page six magazine about hair trends and it was called the braid bunch i love that Mm. so uh okay so (laughs) but what were but what were your can can you talk a little more about um, feeling like you were a first person trafficker oh yeah well i mean I, i i was in terms of just slinging stories that would would hit within the 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 web sphere, you know, mm-hmm. and I would do a lot of very callous, very jaded searches on sites like BuzzSumo, which uh, tracks trending topics. And I would I would put in search terms or on, on Twitter, put in search terms, controversy, sex, a scandal, and then trying to find someone who their story was just reported on a very small local level that could be boosted up to give it a higher higher profile. And I think that whenever you are dealing with people who are still processing something, because mm-hmm. uh, I knew I know that I was writing about a lot of things that I was still processing. And you put it to Word or CMS or whatever, because I don't want to say paper, because that usually doesn't happen anymore. Right. But you put you put your narrative down. A lot of times it is very fresh and very raw. And I'm trying to think of um, a case where people were then besieged with... Well, okay, here's a perfect example. I have had emails in the last couple of weeks from people begging me to take their story down from XO Jane just because it then created a lot of uh, flack because we live in such a powder keg call-out culture time. Mm-hmm. And so if you then wrote something that was just your viewpoint at the day, I don't think, I think it's selfish for people to adopt babies, you know, and mm-hmm. that's how you felt that week. Right. But then three years later. Well, there was a piece that a writer, Amanda Lauren, wrote. Yeah. And I, I wrote about that for the Daily Beast. I wrote about how, because I, I did think that article was, I wasn't, I wasn't working there. A lot mm-hmm. of people, I was contacted by a lot of people who thought that I commissioned that. I've never met mm-hmm. that woman. I She's a listener, I think. <laughs> Oh, oh my show, yeah. She is. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She blocked me after I after I tweeted uh about it. And are you guys friends? No, I I have emailed with her. Yeah. Um I don't know her well. Yeah. But the piece was was it it was like uh so my best my best friend's uh, or, or or my my friend's death was a blessing and her friend had committed suicide her friend her friend had fallen in a bathtub and had uh drowned and had a lot of problems oh and oh, I, I mean but but wrong. i think some people i mean it was very the way that it was 
written was that there could have been you know suicidal ideation involved mm-hmm. um and she just, she just talked about following this person's facebook feed and following how their life was dramatic and it seemed like that was the perfect dramatic end to her and i think that the reason why people were so upset by it is because a lot of people with mental illness and severe depression read the site. And so just the idea of, oh, some people, their lives aren't worth uh, living and that it was a very dangerous kind of Mm -hmm. route to go down. Yeah. Right. So, so you were not involved in that. No, no, I, I didn't. So I was, so they sold the site to time in 2015 and i was part of uh all of the cost cutting layoffs but then they still just paid for me freelance i would still find stories for them and uh write occasionally but i didn't i didn't yeah i didn't work at the site and i yeah i mean i could tell you all the stories of mine that had controversy but it's been interesting sometimes when people make assumptions about things that I did that mm-hmm. I had nothing like there was a big uh, fascinating scandal actually that happened when a marketing company invented a fictional character to write a story for Exo Jane and then it turned out that she was just created and like that never would have happened to me because I talked to every single person that I dealt well no not every single but the majority I had a lot of back and forth and for a story uh, like that, I would have definitely... That's just how I edit. A lot of mm-hmm. people think I'm just this very strange creature because a lot of times <laughs> I prefer phone to text because I think it's a quicker way to get to the meat of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why did a marketing company invent someone to write for ExoJane? So, well, so I had written... I was doing a, a column for New York Magazine called Unwifeable before the book, and the book is totally uh, different... It just I I kept the rights to the name and then and then copyrighted it. So uh, but I wrote a piece called Trump is tearing my marriage apart. And I wrote about how my husband became a Trump supporter in the course of our our relationship. Uh, We got we got married after seven months and. Uh, Pat, do you know Pat? I know of him. Okay. But I don't know him. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he is, uh, he's a comedian. He's done, uh, he's involved with Anthony Cumia, right? Yeah, he's done Comedy Central, uh, half hour. And yeah, when, uh, Cumia, uh, got fired from Sirius, he started his own network and he's got, um, Michael Malice on there. Bill Schultz. And he had, yeah, Bill Schultz just joined. <laughs> Uh, for a while, he had Legion of Skanks, and uh, and yeah, Pat does a show there called Crime Report. And do you know Kumia? No. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I mean, I met. It's funny because I met Kumia around the same time that I met Jim Norton, and I met him through Patrice O'Neill, who um, was a very dear friend of Anthony's, and so it always kind of. Uh, it, it always really surprises me when people 
I mean, I mean, I understand why they do uh, call uh, Kumi a racist, but I just literally was introduced to him, uh, you know, by his very good friend, Patrice O'Neill, like a legendary black comedian who enjoyed talking, frankly, about race uh, with him. And I think that that's I, I think that the kinds of comics that I get along with best are people who like that open dialogue over looking for immediately the thing that uh, divides. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so anyway, but uh, but Pat, yeah, became a Trump supporter. And so I wrote a kind of amped up uh version of the fights that we were having because i mean it was not tearing our marriage apart i would have just gone to marriage counseling rather than air <laughs> I, I mean i mean like if i was on the verge of, right. of walking out writing an article would not have been my first thing but that's a lot of times the reality versus um you know the article and it i think was my number one most read article on uh on new york mag and so some marketing company saw how well that was doing and then they wrote some article that was it was i think i need to break up with my boyfriend because of donald uh because he supports donald trump and they sent it in and the idea was it's anna merlin who's an incredible uh, investigative reporter for jezebel she was the one who I think she was tipped off from Gomi, Get Off My Internets, which Alice Wright runs. And they were noticing that it seemed, something seemed weird about it. There was an image of the girl who had written the article. And then when Nightline did a piece about marital and relationship strife caused by Trump, <laughs> they reached out to the person who had written that article and they then had to, the marketing company had to cast someone to be on Nightline. And so the picture on Exo Jane changed. And some of these people who uh, read blogs a lot, they tipped off, I believe, uh, Anna Merlin. And yeah, when she reached out to me, she was, she was asking, did you commission that? And I was just like, no, I, I would, you know, I, 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 I've made, I made a lot of mistakes in my journalism career, but, uh, yeah, it was it was it was a case of them being and the reason the marketing company did yeah, it was was in it's I guess I guess it's all in the backlinks. I mean, there are so many I mean, I'm sure you guys know affiliate marketing, you can it was basically just put on the site for people to then click whatever link was mm. embedded within the story or was written in the author profile. And I believe it was affiliate marketing uh, driven or it, it was basically some kind of a. It just seems so clumsy. Clumsy? Which which part? To do a fake article when you could just find someone who uh, actually. See, it's has not it's not it's not that easy. That's yeah, that's that. That's, ha- the, that's what a dumb person thinks. Correct me. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's oh, okay. not at all what a dumb okay. person thinks. It, it's it, it's just that. When someone is dealing with something, that's a very intimate area to have a ideological, ethical, personal, moral crisis with the person who you love, who is your soulmate, who is your partner, and to then suddenly think, 
is this person evil? Is this person a bad person? Do I have to disavow this person? That that is that is something that people who have uh, healthy boundaries uh, a lot of times are able to foresee into the future and say, mm-hmm. I don't want that in my internet trail. I don't want that in my digital footprint. For me, my digital footprint is a steaming <laughs> garbage pile. So I'm like, let's add, let's add some more because I just try to convey mm-hmm. what's happening at the time and not look at, you know, one thing as being the culmination of my life or my experience. But say well, you're, say you're an investment banker and you write that piece every job you apply for when they google you they see that they think this person is that's a weird thing to be public about Mm -hmm. their their marriage their relationship problems it's just something that i think a lot of times people are are a lot more conservative and careful about right did you find yourself in the position of having to talk people into being more open than it seemed like they wanted to be uh no i i would I would definitely try to talk people into doing things, but I would say the caveat that <laughs> I cared more about just the person's health and well being and for them to consider the implications of i mean I would give that example that I mm-hmm. just gave you, and I would just the post was a great preparation for that because I would I wrote some story a woman had created a um a dating website to try and find a husband for her or uh, not a husband a uh, a wife for her son who was still single and it was I think the headline eventually got changed to to that uh, and that was exactly what she didn't want to have happened mm-hmm. um you know, it's like if someone just takes one little aspect of your life and blows that up as the headline, and that happens a lot in tabloid media. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was very upset uh, that that was happening. But then, you know, hours later, a million reality companies had called her all this pickup on press, and she was okay with it. So I would usually kind of explain things in in those terms that sometimes things can get uh, interpreted in in ways that uh i mean you have to have a pretty solid base so if you're not in a good place it's not the time to do an article for exo jane (laughs) so yeah but uh yeah no i never i mean I, i would try and talk people into it but then it would be with that caveat if that makes any sense yeah so yeah like like trying to talk them into it but also wanting to make sure that they were they knew what they were getting into well yeah because i mean i don't want that on my you know and and i could i just i I try not to uh talk trash about other people but i mean you know uh i definitely know of um times when there was the opposite of that where you know it was uh and there was, you know, tons and tons of editors who worked there. So I'm not, you know, um, and sometimes they were freelance, you know, not on staff, but just where the desire was, you know, say you were uh, uh, drunk and railing about, I don't know, your old employer or something. 
And, uh, you know, just, I, I would say, let me get this down. We're going to put, yeah, okay, fine. You know, oh, that's like consent. <laughs> well, so drunk is a bad, a bad example, but like, say someone is Fired a, up. um, well, yeah. And also just say someone is really, uh, young and naive and doesn't quite realize, hasn't been, uh, told, oh, hey, you know, this may, someone may take this this way, mm-hmm. you know, and instead is like, they're going to get the comeuppance they deserve by having hundreds of commenters tell them that they're a worthless human being and they'll get the message that way. And I just, that's something that I never, when I was a lot younger, I really, I really just, I thought I was super clever and I did that. I did a big story in college that was sympathy for the modeling industry and I interviewed different model scouts and would quote just the most egregious things that they said in the context of talking about their job oh we might we might reject someone because oh her nose is not quite right or she might be you know all all these different things and I just thought it was such a clever little gotcha takedown hit piece journalist and putting my thing together. And I think that just the older that I got, uh, the more I felt like, you know, try to tell the person what you think in the moment. Mm. Because if you don't, it just seems a little bit, uh, it it just, it just seems like not the, I I don't want to say cowardly, but something less than, than than cowardly uh indirect yeah yeah just it just seems like that is the biggest uh problem in terms of uh conflict in society is that we don't talk to people honestly and we don't tell them this really hurt me or this makes me feel this Mm -hmm. so yeah so how do you deal with uh being married to a trump supporter I, uh, As someone who is not a Trump supporter. Yeah, I think that uh, from talking to a bunch of Trump supporters who aren't white males to, you know, make sure that uh, that it wasn't um, something that was uh, just appealing to, like, white America and uh, trying to advance some evil agenda... I think that I I grew to have more. I mean, I actively sought out, like, I don't know if you, like when you were back when you were single and you were dating and if someone told you, oh, I don't know, I would be wary of X, Y, Z. And then you did all this research to see, oh, well, this could be what, you know. So I basically did that. And I we had a kind of exchange program of, I would say, watch this video, tell me how you can. And then he would respond and then he would say, watch this uh, Benghazi hearing and look at this, blah, blah, blah. So it was, I, so I became a lot oh more. <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining I mean, what, all the stuff you guys had to watch. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind. And then I think also personally, I tend to, I tend to get my uh, resistance goes up when I start to see people actively just saying well something absolutely cannot be an option this is what the group 
mm-hmm. thanks and seeing some of the, I mean, I had uh, a woman who I kind of considered a friend, although she always, I mean, and she'll always be a friend, but just, I don't know if you have anyone that you keep in your life who just every time you talk to them, they say something cruel, but that that's the kind of person she is. And one time she was just screaming at me that I should get divorced um, because it was, uh, he was a Nazi. Anyone supported him was a Nazi. And I just, so that, that kind of a reaction tends to get my contrarian, mm-hmm. contrarian, what is it? Is it hackles? Do your hackles get up? Is that the expression? Can, yeah, I think that you can, your hackles can rise. I don't even know what a hackle is. <laughs> But they're up right now. But but it made me see a portion of uh, the left and liberalism mm-hmm. that I had never encountered before. One of the people that I talked to, I would say the most, there's a, a, a woman named uh, Carrie Smith, who she, I think she was a producer on Kamau Bell's show. She's his manager. She's, you know, worked in comedy for a long time. Uh, she doesn't anymore. But she wrote a piece that was called uh, How I Left the Cult of SJW. And she wrote about seeing some of the things on her Facebook feed that that were so incendiary that it was this realization of becoming the monster that you're fighting against. You know, Trump, Trump should die, Melania should die, all these things. And she went back to this idea of free speech and being able to have a discussion versus just uh, writing someone off completely. And so she's someone who I have talked to probably more than, than anyone about those reactions that I got and Mm -hmm. just how, how, um, shocking it was to me that you could be completely just disregarded as a human being as being not even human as just being a a trash i mean that's like the popular thing such and such as trash and uh because you were uh married to someone who had who had uh, different beliefs. And it also, I mean, it also surprised me because it just seems the opposite of feminism to be judging Mm. a woman based on, like, like, is that how we make up our minds about a woman is just based on because the man speaks for them uh and so 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 it certainly led to a lot of um insight about like different people i knew and different uh groups and you know ultimately i think that uh i think that it probably brought me a lot closer to different uh, friends and i made new friends and i just was more careful with um other people and expected that i was going to be called a nazi (laughs) um but 
the issues that that you encountered um, being married to a Trump supporter, and I have to remind people who, are, if they're like, "Why are you making such a big deal out of it?" Oh, I'm no. not making a big deal. Oh, out I don't of mind. It. <laughs> I don't mind. It's it's fine. I mean, I mean, it's not. I, it? I, I shouldn't have even brought it up because usually that derails the whole thing. Um, well, just one more question so. about it. Oh and no, then please. Then I don't. I'm moving don't. on to unwifeable. Oh yeah, I don't mind at all. The but. Was the main issue how you were regarded by other people, or did you personally find yourself struggling with it? Oh, of course, I've I found myself struggling with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be, I, I, I don't have any. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I mean, just, just on the idea of, uh, is Trump espousing a white supremacist uh, uh, viewpoint and and dog whistling to. Uh, populations that i just find completely despicable um you know i I, that's something i i don't want anything to do with like i i wouldn't um i wouldn't be here on this earth if it wasn't for a, a a black man which is a weird thing to say but um my dad was uh I, I mean, I write about this a little bit in the book. It's not really like a childhood memoir, but there's enough in there to just set up, I guess, why I am the weird boundaryless freak that I am. <laughs> but my dad was um, a Marine in Vietnam, and he was literally left for dead. They said not to go uh, back for him because he was killed with all these people in a sniper mm-hmm. a- attack. He wasn't killed. I said that wrong. But he was, <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he was, uh, he was, he was shot. Yeah. He was shot uh, twice through the face, um, with an AK 47. And, um, it was, uh, very unlikely that he would survive. And there was this, and he was a, white college educated dropout and for some reason he just bonded um with um al fielders who was um a young uh black man from the the south and they were they were friends and even though he was told not to go uh back for him he did and he saved my dad's life and so i mean i i mean as dumb as that sounds like i uh just to be to think that I was a part of um, uh, something, w- which is I think why I uh, sought out so many people of color and women um, who were Trump supporters to talk to them to see how they could reconcile it, and that I think helped me, I guess, see other uh, viewpoints, and um, you know, it might just be moral justification, and I'm completely deluded but it certainly uh it certainly gave me a lot more openness to the idea um of how uh you know uh why why people don't uh believe uh that he is all of the negative things that mm-hmm. are said about him i mean i still i i don't i'm 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 not a trump supporter but i think that i try to actively set aside my inclination to just immediately uh, disregard everything and instead try to... I, I, I read a really good interview with Bob Woodward the other day who was actively calling out the press for being so biased and and having this uh, viewpoint that was the mind was already, you know, made up from the get-go. 
um, and that it was just this um, fulfilling a thesis that was already in place rather than coming to it from an objective uh, viewpoint. And I think that's a brave, you know, thing to 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 say because I mean he can do it because he's mm-hmm. Bob Woodward. He's not going to ever lose work. But I mean, a lot of places they if you don't you know, meet uh, not just the liberal checkpoint, um, but a lot of times the very extreme uh, version where you are willing to, it's its like Scientology, you know, <laughs> where you cut people off for being suppressive persons. And I, I just, I don't, I think that's how we get into, I think that that's how we get Trump as a president mm-hmm. is when we start just dehumanizing it's and separating. And, white, and yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's my answer to that. And also, I will say that, you know, my first husband, who I wrote about a little bit in the book and, you know, use a fake name for him and everything. But that was a dude who was constantly like his idea of a romantic date was taking me to an international socialist convention and, you know, would just scream at me about how he was a bigger feminist than I was. And, you know, just then in another fight would, you know, tell me that. Uh, I would never have any problem finding someone because I could always find a guy who would uh, slap his dick on my face and call me a whore and um, just was very emotionally abusive. And I, I mean, and I don't know if you've followed sometimes the downfall of some of these self-proclaimed like male feminists, mm-hmm. but my experience is that um, I haven't always been treated the best by by super liberal guys, and uh, when they wear it as a badge, I find that yeah, it's o- that's it's often uh, right. It's part a, of a manipulation. Yeah, it's a little bit of a a, a warning, a which con, isn't which yeah. isn't to you know slam on liberal men at all, but it's just that uh, I know that I have never been uh, had my like self respect and my value supported as much by a human as I have by Pat. And that's something I certainly, when I met with him on a date, I thought he was just going to be some snide fucking comic who was going to then write a piece just about what a train wreck I was or whatever. And it really surprised me that he was very thoughtful and very well-versed in terms of just being able to think about things thoughtfully and talk about psycholo- uh, psychology and actively encourage me to take care of myself and also didn't he's one of the only people I've met who didn't have that Madonna whore dichotomy mm-hmm. immediate categorization where uh, I mean a lot of times I would go on on dates with people and they would say things like well, I could just say anything to you. I mean, you're kind of a you're kind of a crazy slut, right? You know, and it's wow that says <laughs> so much about you. Yeah, so about them or about that says so much uh, about you. Me speaking to them, right. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. How you how you would approach someone, right? Um, with uh, you know the most reductive crass. <laughs> I mean, you probably wouldn't do that to. Uh, someone who had written some lad lit mm-hmm. novel, right. Right. you know, you is. So, yeah. All right. Let me read uh, yeah, the thing please. that I mentioned of course. at the very beginning. Alison Rosen is my idol. I see her from across the room. 
I approach her. My palms are sweating. It was the part of the book that literally spoke to me. Oh, cool. Most. Oh, yeah. thanks. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh that, that, that. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm like, but this I'm did so too. willing to believe my own <laughs> bullshit. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. Um, this is on page two. I wasn't just, uh, by the way, I can't remember anymore why I wanted to read this. I know it related to the very beginning. <laughs> However, I feel that I must because I mentioned it earlier. Oh, please do. Yeah. I wasn't just a self-destructive exhibitionist whose crippling neuroses manifested in navel gazing narcissism and random acts of implosion. Instead, I told myself I was a feminist. My warp speed career and personal memoir, I claimed to be the ultimate act, making myself as terrifying to men as possible. So a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of self-awareness, realizing the ways in which you're sort of like playing into the image that you then worry is going to prevent you from from getting where you want to be. But then also um, also uh, feeling that you were like sabotaging your chances of being with a a guy like an authentic yeah. an authentic human being who would be the right 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 fit for me and i mean i don't know do you like marriage i do yeah i think that having but i have a history of like dating the wrong guy right, i mean right, i've got right. like i re- i i yeah i was uh i'm surprised i ended up in a happy marriage yeah so i i for me am such a social person and i love having the viewpoint of life magnified by sharing it with someone Mm -hmm. else. And I just felt like that wasn't going to happen because I just was. And so, you know, I, I I would, uh, I always lean into the wrong things, you know? So I think I kind of, uh, I, I, I can be very defensive. And so if someone says, you know, you are, oh, God, that would be so embarrassing to be associated with you. It makes me just want to say, oh, you think that's embarrassing? (laughs) Um, You haven't seen anything. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, so. You seem very, very disturbed. No, I, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I have, to, I have to be honest. I'm not disturbed. I'm like, my whole being is vibrating with like, there's so many directions I want to go with. Oh, this. okay. Um, and just, and by the way, if Amanda Lauren is, uh, listening, I, you know, very much apologize if I treated her in the way that I'm talking about how I don't think people should be treated, which is, um, you know, a uh, kind of uh, dehumanizing uh, lack of empathy and lack of openness to understanding where someone would be uh, coming from. So, um, I'm not. I'm not. De- I'm not disturbed at all. I was just. I was relating so strongly to that sort of like, oh, you think this is bad? You just wait. That kind oh, yeah, of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that, that I, I would describe it for in myself as like almost a temper tantruming child. Yeah, yeah. And I talk about that a lot in the book is realizing that I did have, and I, I mean, I, I continue to struggle with it. You know, the, there's a theory in psychology that there are different ego states. There's the healthy adult uh, ego state 
and then there's the wounded child. Um, and then sometimes there's the, you know, spunky, happy child where you're just silly and joyful. And it's not some weird ass multiple personality. It's just a, it's an idea for, um, understanding where someone is at, uh, mentally. And if you have not necessarily been modeled, um, uh, healthy adult ego states to, uh, learn from and also had your needs taken care of, um, as a needy child, mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times you are stuck, and I think that that's something, yeah, I've had to work hard to get out of because... How? Oh, just therapy, 12-step, sobriety, um, morning pages, having friends, uh, trying to be open when people uh, tell me criticism rather than just lashing out, you mm-hmm. know, literally going to every... Uh, I try not to say, uh, goddamn, but it's such like a musical word, literally going to every goddamn 12 step meeting on the planet. I mean, when Pat and I have had fights, I have pulled up a litany of everything wrong he's ever said or Mm -hmm. done. And I guess that's not what most people do. Um, and realizing that, uh, you know, I, I just, I have these just wells of rage within me. Um, I've, I've done, uh, recently, I've done, uh, Rageaholics Anonymous phone meetings, which at, like, at a certain point, you're like, am I going to Chocoholics? Like, what the <laughs> fucking fuck? I didn't um, even know they had that. Yeah, I just Googled it because I was just like, I am, I know that there is something inside me where the, dopamine kicks in when i am lashing out and unburdening you know what i feel to be just a lot of, a lot of times it's old wounds you know mm-hmm. if you're if your parents told you uh not to be upset about something and then someone uh tells you that as an adult if you haven't dealt with all of that trauma then you react to some small thing like you have been punched in the stomach and it's a very disproportionate reaction. One of the most helpful things for me was after I had a couple years of uh, sobriety, I was told about this uh, program that is run by the Karen Institute and they are largely like a drug and alcohol treatment facility, but they also run this program. I think 2020 has done something kind of showing how it works it at least in 2012 it was like $2600 and it's a week long program it's called breakthrough and it's intensive group therapy that you do uh with a group of about like 8 12 people and then it culminates in a psychodrama which is someone playing different aspects of people from your life and you're talking to them and you're trying to work through old shit, which sounds like so intense. Yeah, it is. And, uh, but it was, I mean, it's helpful. You do what you got to do so that Mm you kind of stop living in the past. Did you feel an immediate change? Yeah, I think I, I think I did. I, I mean, I had a lot of people say, uh, in my group, 
well, you know, that uh, blood-curdling scream you let out and the sobbing, it seems like you really uh, got through something there. You know, I mean, the idea of being, you know, you can't get beyond unless you go through, Mm -hmm. I guess that's the whole idea. So, yeah. But it's definitely not something where you are done with Mm -hmm. uh, that's which I always... I always make that mistake. I always think to myself, uh, you know, well, I did the fourth step in AA, so I'm all set. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times it's like, I mean, it's it's like exercise, honestly. And you you can't just, you know, rely on, a lot of times it's an active thing of checking in and making sure you're kind of taking care of yourself so that you don't fall into old patterns because i mean i just uh my tendency is just to i get trapped and i get lost in my brain Mm. and then i just uh go into this kind of cycle of self-hatred and then i'm paralyzed and then i'm not doing anything positive and that's like a really bad place to be you know and it's really easy to slip into so do you subscribe to the idea of like just stop the thoughts just don't even embark on that oh i've tried everything i swear to god i the other day um uh pat was gone i think he was at kumia's for like a poker game or something like that and i was um expecting a friend to come over and then it turned out she couldn't and i reached out to i don't know like five different people and one of the people I called, she's someone who I had had a falling out with, but we'd become friends again. And when I called her, she didn't recognize my phone number, which is always, you know, you're like, oh, you didn't put me in your phone. <laughs> and I just felt so just gutted by, you know, feeling like, oh, okay, I thought we were okay. And then, and I just, I, I always Google things to try and fix the problem And so I think I was Googling, how do you not care what people think of you? And I downloaded, I just like like to throw money at things. And so I downloaded uh, this like super Christian book, uh, The Battlefield of the Mind, where she talks about how when you had negative thoughts, Satan put those in your mind. And for some reason, it actually cheered me up, like just metaphorically, Mm -hmm. just like, oh, I'm thinking about I hate myself, I'm worthless. That's Satan, you know? I mean, it's just... Right, it's not you. Yeah, it's not me. And uh, the uh, thing that I found pretty helpful was some of the research that's been done. There's a book called um, The Breakout Principle. And yeah, they subscribe to the idea that they've used um, like fMRIs and all this like research technology to scan the brain. And it shows that when you um, just immediately sever the loop by doing something different, like say... Um, I think the examples that they give are drawing a picture, uh, going for a walk, taking a shower, uh, but you have to actively just do something different to get out of whatever, you know, place that you're in where you're having the repetitive, traumatic, uh, cyclical thought that isn't really doing any purpose except just sticking you down even farther, so, and, and another, uh, probably the most helpful thing for me though, uh, is the Al-Anon principle of go where it's warm or don't go to the hardware store for milk. Like you, a lot of times 
keep going back to people who never are giving you what you need mm. and just you just keep wanting to have that closure and they almost never provide it and it just makes you feel like shit and like it's it's such a hard cycle to get out of but i mean a lot of times it's just like you have to have friends who provide i mean friends are you know the family that we choose right um in order to kind of provide that uh nurturing and sustenance and people are going to give you so much shit about this episode and be like she would not shut the no, fuck up no they're not they're going to love it so i'm someone who my whole life people have been telling me that i overthink things too much so i think at the beginning, this idea of just not indulging in those kind of thoughts yeah. felt really, I always felt like that is not the answer. Like to be being told not to think about something to me just feels dismissive, but I've sort of come around to realizing that like, no, it's now that I'm an, I'm an adult and it's not about other people telling me what to do, you know? No, it is a, uh, like a specific manifestation of anxiety. Yeah. Cause it's really hard to, to accept that like i don't have to engage in these thoughts i don't even know if i i mean it's it's, it's oh, less of yeah. a choice than well, that, but it feels irresponsible and unsafe to not ruminate of course yeah yeah i mean it's the old caveman fight or flight type instinct and a certain level of anxiety is good when you don't have anxiety you you know yeah walk into traffic and just end up dead from a Mack truck. But I think that when you are someone who is uh, a very quick thinker, you have a lot of thoughts, you can see around corners, you can anticipate, you can then just think yourself mm -hmm. into paralysis because you've thought about every possibility. You've thought and and you sometimes it's just a matter of accepting that uh, whatever is, is, you know, I mean, uh, wherever you are, there you are. Wh wherever you go, there you are. Yeah, that that whole you, that whole book. But the other thing is, when I did that whole Karen Institute thing, uh, I was so upset when I had this one counselor tell me that I had a tendency to give every single detail of an experience and what was said and what happened. And she said, "You haven't said how you felt about it. I just want to know." glad, sad, mad, afraid. I, I just, I want to know how you felt. You, you're, you're using all these details as a way to distract yourself. And that sometimes can be also a counterpoint to over-intellectualizing mm -hmm. is just realizing, oh, I feel really scared right now. Oh, I feel really ashamed. Um, I feel, and then you can, that's something to work with versus just burdening yourself with every fact about it. Because you can't, change what's mm. happened so. you felt upset when she pointed that out upset like mad oh, I, or i was so mad why because i felt like i was digging so deep into things that had happened to me and experiences that were so formative and that she was dismissing them and insulting me and rejecting me like any kind of semblance of rejection it just i don't you know, I mean, I, I, it hurts so much and it just makes me, I mean, I don't, I, I, I've never had a therapist, uh, say or even suggest or bring up, uh, the idea 
of uh, borderline with me, like borderline mm-hmm. personality, and that is probably the most, um, you know, stigmatized, excoriated label. Like, you know, borderlines are people just think, oh, it's a psychopath. But you can have, if you have like certain events in your uh, childhood, like like Helen Keller, for instance, she was um, sociopathic uh, based on like some of the things that happened to her and her um, events. And then you can um, uh, go past and not meet the criteria. Like so, so I think associated with um, BPD is um, like. Uh, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's just some kind of attachment disorder. Mm. And I definitely have, I definitely, um, that's one of the criteria that I still, uh, wrestle with. And I'm a lot less so that way, but anyone who, uh, reacts very disproportionately to some kind of, uh, rejection or the person leaving or goes dramatically from, you know, you're the best to you're the worst, you know, and, and I remember talking to a friend who was telling me that she looked at uh, some book that was like about, you know, loving someone who had uh, BPD. And she said, I I never had a therapist tell me that I had that, and I don't think I have that, but I think that I f- I fit some of the criteria uh, because of experiences I had I had been through, and it was actively trying to work to not um, fit that anymore by you know working extra hard on those portions, if that makes any sense. And it was like when she had that conversation with me, because to me that was the most, <sighs> I mean, I. I that that was like saying, oh, I met some criteria for being like a murderer, you know? <laughs> right. um, yeah. Like Jody Arias. Yes. But I remember that book. I love you. No, I hate you. Don't leave me. Yeah. Which is about, I've never I, read that. Is that about that? Is I that think, about? I think it is. Okay. And I remember buying it because I related to it. So yeah. Strongly. I mean, it's, yeah. it's also just a very. Okay, I have no de- no degrees in this, so I'm just speaking from uh-huh. my head, but I could be wrong. But it's also a very young way of engaging with the world. Yeah. Because a child is, like, angry at, you know, that that's it's a child's way of looking at, it's an angry child's way of looking at the world, too. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, despite sitting here saying that I always went for the wrong kind of guy, which I did always go for the wrong kind of guy, however, I also would sit there and wring my hands over, like, you know, let me, let me rephrase. I would feel like it was a shortcoming in the guy that they didn't immediately fill all, like f- fix everything about me right. off the bat. Yeah. Like it was, I was the one who yeah. was, uh, was off in what I was looking for. Right. Yeah. You have to, it's so annoying that you have to fix all those parts about <laughs> yourself. Yeah. It's like, oy. yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's true. You can't. And I mean, and that's definitely something that I always looked for. I always looked for guys who who would just be my savior and the only, you know, savior as obnoxious as it is, you know, because you can then set yourself up for some really, you know, bad situations because most guys aren't Gandhi. And, and I think even Gandhi had problems, but like mm-hmm. most guys aren't uh just these perfectly noble characters and you can get yourself and you, 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 you could end up in, in a cult you know yeah um, yeah oh absolutely yeah yeah that's um 
That's not a, 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 a friend. Of, a friend of mine told me that something helpful a therapist told her once was, "This is not that." <laughs> so when, <laughs> so yeah, when your husband's yelling at you and you're like, "You sound just like my father," you know, to say like, "This is not that." Um, you are, yeah. So, um, let's real fast do some just mirror everyone's. These Yay. are things that people have sent in and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? But first, I want to tell you guys about Brandless. I am. I'm pretty obsessed with Brandless. They are a company that cuts out the middleman and ships direct to you. They have food, they have home goods, they have snacks, cleaning supplies, healthcare needs, office supplies, and each item is $3. In fact, sometimes when I'm looking at Brandless, because I like to just see all the kind of stuff that they offer, I'll find myself looking like, oh, this, you know, citrus bergamot hand lotion. I want that. I wonder how much it is. And then, oh, $3. I can't keep it in my head that everything on the website is just $3, but everything is just $3. There really isn't a better value than their organic maple syrup and honey. Their quality and value is second to none. They have stuff that's gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, cruelty-free, clean beauty and personal care, non-toxic cleaners and home goods. Brandless is a new kind of company, a community that puts people first, believes everyone deserves better, and that better shouldn't cost more. Like I said, I'm obsessed with them. Also, Brandless donates a meal with every purchase through their partnership with Feeding America. I'm especially obsessed with their cheese kangaroos, which are little cheese flavored crackers. My son Elliot loves them and I do too. Also, their tomato basil pasta sauce is so good. Start building your Brandless box today and get free shipping on your first order at Brandless.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-L-E-S-S.com. B-R-A-N-D-L-E-S-S.com. Better everything for everyone, all $3.00. Brandless.com. And then on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. There's different reward levels, bonus stuff. Um, it's fun. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And get unwifable, unwifablebook.com. That's correct. Yeah. That's where you I'll go. I'll take you right to the Amazon page. Yeah. Perfect. And tell me what you think. And uh, even if it's bad, I promise I won't have a rage freak out. I'll just, I'll just call, <laughs> that call, weird, I'll, I'll call that weird phone <laughs> meeting instead. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay. JMO fan says, when I see a pickup truck lifted super high, I imagine my 5'3 self unsuccessfully trying to crawl into it. Hashtag just me or everyone. Um, I don't do that. Um... Well, actually, yes, I, when I, when I do, yeah, I do do that. And I know that I would have trouble getting in and I'm not a a super short person. Uh, however, I'm a clumsy person, so I would not want a car that involves gymnastics to get into. Mandy, you're six too. I am so used to being uncomfortable that, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you, uh, but I think that's only recently uh, that that change has happened. Yeah, being 6'2", is, it's, everything is too small <laughs> for me. <laughs> What's the most uncomfortable situation for you? Um, just in terms of like a car? No, it just in terms of, of being t- a tall person. Uh, the most uncomfortable situation was probably, I wrote about this in the book, when they asked me at the post to go meet with the Guinness world record holder for a world's shortest man. And he was something like 
I don't know, like 20 pounds or something. And they asked me to ask him out on a date and I held him in my hands like a baby. (laughs) And he continues to send me messages on Facebook flirtatiously years later. You know what I wanted to ask you? (laughs) That is... Yeah, that that was probably the most uncomfortable. Yeah. Which, I don't know if you can say, but I'm wondering which website, you wrote about a website that gave you $20,000 to like date as many men as possible? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, it's it's not some secret. I just didn't want to, you know, uh, it, it was uh, plenty of fish. Oh. I did a, uh, I was very grateful for the gig. I mean, my God, because I got laid off from, exo jane like two seconds later Mm -hmm. and yeah that was it so okay chalet says automatically (laughs) assume that the gift bag i'm receiving has already been used at least once even though i buy them brand new 99 percent of the time when i'm the giver Hmm. sometimes i wonder if i receive a gift in a gift bag i wonder i think you can tell like if it's if it's like you know cat treats (laughs) And you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, especially, you know what the funniest thing my uh, one of my nieces said to me was years ago when she was like still a little girl. She said, "Why does everything you give us? Um, why is it branded and have a USB uh, <laughs> USB card with it?" And I was like, "Okay, you got me, kid." <laughs> uh, James Leroy Wilson says the impression I get is that more people have birthdays in March than any other month. Well, it's interesting because I have a birthday in May and I feel like I've met a zillion Happy people with... Happy birthday. Thank you. I feel like I've met a zillion people with my birthday. So I just assume everyone has my birthday. What does that make you? That makes you a... Taurus. Bur- Taurus. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. That's a good one. Thank you. Yeah. I'm told that I it, it fits me because I am stubborn and I feel like, shut up. Um, what, what are you, Dan? Jeff. That's Jeff. Oh my God. I'm so sorry, Jeff. Uh, I'm a unicorn. Can you can you edit that out or you can leave it in? But um, wow, what a oh, I, so wait, I'm so stupid. Think, no, I thought that not. was your husband. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I heard. Okay, yeah, I thought we that know, was your husband. We have to keep this in. This is. I've never, amazing. I've never, I've never you met know, your husband. Yeah. Okay, and, this is um, funny because I heard you congratulating us on the book. Yeah. Earlier, and I was like, oh, oh, so I'm so stupid. Oh, this is My so husband, awkward. No, 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 no. Oh God. No, for people who don't know, my. My husband did the illustrations in my book that uh, is coming out or has come out by the time you hear this. Will become I I don't know. I frankly can't do the math on that one. But anyway, yes. I, <laughs> when I heard you congratulating us, yeah, but Jeff uh, edited the audio. He did the audio book. Oh, that's he produced great. it. Oh, awesome. But I thought, oh, I think yeah, maybe yeah. Oh, people wonder that sometimes. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah I just didn't. Anyway, no so, worries. Okay, gotcha. You could do worse. <laughs> but could I? Um, that are, you, are you single? No comment. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Ray Morgan says, "Never order dessert at a restaurant, but I'm all about sampling the sweets in a buffet situation." Yeah, you have to in a buffet situation. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I like the chocolate covered strawberries and anything that tastes like Butterfingers. Butterfinger I- singular. Right. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I feel like if, if there's a whole bunch sitting out, I've got to at least taste the whole bunch. Okay. Bruised by Dawn says, can't find a rubber band to save my life. Hashtag, they were on doorknobs everywhere. 
Um, yeah, I can, I can yeah. never find a ponytail band, honestly. I just, I need to just stash them away like Meg Ryan does with a uh, bottle of vodka in <laughs> When a Man freezer. Loves a Woman, you know, <laughs> a gripping portrait of alcoholism. Right. But yeah, I, I, the only time I was able to was, uh, keep track was when I had two little cats years ago and they would always put them under my doormat. They would just, uh, like hunt them and it was so adorable. Yeah. That is so cute. Yeah. And lastly, Alpha Cancer says, just me or everyone, I feel like I have to pee more often when I'm cold. I just feel like I have to pee more often all the time. I don't know if it's more when I'm cold. You? I've no, I've never I've never noticed that, but I do think that my bladder is not. I I think if there was like a bladder competition, like Miss Bladder USA or something, mm. I would not have a chance. No, me neither. Yeah, but maybe it could be like Miss Small Bladder USA. That I would win. Yeah, that I feel very confident about. I would put up a good a good <laughs> fight. <laughs> um. I have noticed that if it's really, this is a very specific thing that is not, does not get repeated many times in my life. However, if it's very cold, I don't want to sit down. Um, when I lived in Costa Mesa, I had two roommates and I would, we would hang out outside on the patio and they would always be like, have a seat. And and if it was cold, I never wanted to have a seat. I don't know why. I feel like if I I think I need to stand and like shake around. Cold concrete on your right little little butt is, oh, okay. Well then. I don't understand. I know. I, I felt like... Oh, because the movement of walking around I keeps think that, you warm. Yeah, yeah so I think that's it's what that it was. nice little effect. Yeah. Right. Mandy Statmiller, it was so nice having you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much like for having me. barely scratched the surface. Oh, yeah. So you're yeah. going to have to come back. Okay, yeah. No, I would love to. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I actually may be staying in LA another uh, week because of another uh, booking. So I will, you know, whatever I will, I'll, 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 I'll text you. And if it was just a thing you're saying, that's fine too. And it was really great meeting you, Jeff. And, uh, are you enjoying all the book promo? Yeah, it's really fun. I just, um, the first thing I did was Jim and Sam, like Jim Norton's show with Sam Roberts. And so that whole Opie and Anthony audience is all like, you know, saying that uh specifically all the things wrong with your appearance and then apparently i also said the word like (laughs) every other word uh and so i just am a little conscious of trying to learn from my not the i mean someone thinks i'm a farm animal or whatever i think that was one of the nice little tweets Mm -hmm. i got there's nothing i can do about that but Trying to uh, do a decent job in the interviews is the only thing that I want. But yeah, no, I mean, I love, I just love talking, honestly. So it's, uh, and it's so great to also, I love seeing the uh, places where people live. It's so fun. Like, it's just beautiful. Oh, Oh, I just said like again. See, it's like a (laughs) self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a virus, the like virus. Um, okay, everyone, go okay. get go get unwifeable um, and follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at ARIYNBF. If you have a Just Me or Everyone to submit, send it to or tweet it to uh, ARIYNBF. Follow me on Instagram at Allison Rosen. My website's AllisonRosen.com. Go there and you can get my book. Um, and so you, unwifeablebook.com is where you go to get your book, but tell them where else they can find you if there's anything else oh, you want to Oh, yeah, plug. yeah. You can find me on Twitter at... Uh, M-A-N-D-Y-S-T-A-D-T. 
And that's, I'm on Facebook, either slash Mandy Stat or slash M Stat Miller. Those are good. And Instagram is Mandy Stat. Thank so you. That so, would, yeah, no, thank, thank you. you so much. I appreciate it. Jeff, where do we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? Yeah, Alison Rosen is your new best.